You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies that actors were. Better shake the booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and this episode is hosted by Ryan. Well, this week, if you're a big fan of all things comics, then you probably know about this little tiny convention out in San Diego called Comic-Con. Well, we're pleased to present to you John Garvin, his latest comic, Trace War, which he'll be also presenting at the very prestigious convention. John Garvin is a former PlayStation creative veteran with over 25 years of experience. During his tenure, he played a crucial role in helping develop some of Sony's most popular and successful gaming franchises. This includes Siphon Filter, Resistance, Uncharted, and Days Gone. Garvin wrote and directed the critically acclaimed PlayStation 4 open world game Days Gone, which became a fan favorite and he holds the distinction of writing and directing the most successful title in the PlayStation Vita history, Uncharted Golden Abyss. We're speaking to John today as a creative driving force behind Lethos. John brings forth his exemplary skills, extensive experience, and mastery of the craft to the thrilling new post-apocalyptic sci-fi world of Trace War. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast featuring John Garvin to talk about his new series, Trace War, hosted by Ryan. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and the box office has been slamming lately, so I haven't had a chance to really dive into a good comic series. And I got a new one for you guys today. It's called Trace War. And what I liked about Trace War is it's so technology driven. It has so many cool different technology features to it because I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the world we're living in today, it's a constant battle with technology, right? Like, is it too advanced? How do we fit in that world? Are we changing enough to grow with it? So this is why I'm so excited for this episode today. Joining me today, I have John Garvin. He is a former PlayStation creative. So we definitely got to talk to him about that. But he's now vice president of creative at Lethos. And um, he's going to talk to us about his new comic series, Trace War. And I'm excited about it. We're going to nerd out about it. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on. Um, So, you know, as I mentioned, we got to talk about this like 25 years plus that you were at PlayStation, being a creative there, a vet in the business. I'm curious, like looking back, because I know this is a lot of years that I'm been ready to ask you about for this question that you got to kind of think about. But looking back, like, what would be like a tip you would give to yourself first starting out in gaming or what would be a tip you would give somebody wanting to start in gaming? Oh, man, it's like I'm such a dinosaur (laughs) when I started (laughs) in 1990 because I was I worked at uh, Dynamics, which was a very early game company that made uh, graphic graphic adventures and uh, flight sims. Um, 
and that was, you know, that was when I was 30 years old. So that's a lot of years ago. Uh, so probably everything that you would do today is completely different than the way I did it. I did it mm. just by seeing an ad in the paper. I was working as a grad student at the time, teaching at the unit. My master's degree is in Shakespeare, of all things. Wow. And so, yeah, so I was in debt up to my years, and I just needed a job. So I saw this little ad saying, hey, if you can draw, come and see us. And so I was always, I've been an artist my whole life. And so that's how I got into the industry, just on the strength of my portfolio. Mm -hmm. So they hired me, and I worked on some stuff. And then eventually, because I could write, they, I, you know, in a very short amount of time, became a writer and director in the game industry. But yeah, I'm pretty sure you can't take that route into the industry today. But the, <laughs> here's the advice I would give, because I've, yeah, I've yeah, mentored yeah. lots of lots of uh, young artists and writers and game designers over the years. And I think probably the thing that stands out the most to me is just having a super strong work ethic. Just, you know, look, if you don't have something to do, look for something to do make yourself useful, you know, don't wait for people to come and give you things, um, you know, figure out what needs to be done and figure out a faster way to do it. You know, it doesn't mean you have to work crazy overtime because the industry is sort of, you know, infamous for that. But I think it does mean that while you're engaged and whatever you're doing, man, just give it everything, give it, be, be the best thing you can be, whatever it is. Yeah, I feel like that kind of advice stands the test of time. Like no matter what year you're trying to do something, like they're always looking for somebody that's driven, that's going to keep going, like no matter what, you know, yes. and you're passionate about it. You got to find a way to keep doing it somehow. So yeah, I think that's great advice. Yeah, and I think people will notice, you know, and I think that's the thing. It's like, at least I always did. I could always tell who were the, you know, who were the people who were really engaged in what whatever whatever it was they were working on. Mm -hmm. What um What is your favorite memory going back to those years? What's your favorite memory? Oh man, so many. It's like, you know, so like it, like dynamics was a, was a kind of a close knit family more. In fact, they have a Facebook page now where, and we're all these old people now and we're, you know, 30 years on, we didn't realize what we had at the time. Cause it was just yeah. a bunch of young kids, you know, it was a brand new industry at the time. And, you know, we used to party together and, you know, hang out and, you know, make games. And, you know, I just don't think any of us realized how, rare that was going to be in our careers as we got older so i have a lot of fond memories from that you know back when when we first started uh sony bend it was 12 guys when we did siphon filter wow that was like a that was like 12 well 12 guys and one and one gal uh, yeah. and it was a very small team so being able to make you know a multi-million selling game with 12 people in a year is mm. kind of pretty amazing so i have a lot of fond memories from that even though there was a lot of crunch so we see the, so we can kind of figure out where your imagination came from to kind of dive into this comic world. What about like some of you, like, how did you first really get into comics? Like, what is your origin origin story as far as that? Like, did you have any favorite superheroes? Yeah. So uh, I've been doing, um, honestly, I've been in, into comics and games equally since I was a kid because mm -hmm. I grew up in the seventies and I remember going to the local drugstore and buying Jack Kirby's Commandy which was his first comic for DC after he left Marvel and buying it right off the stands for a quarter and just being amazed like, Oh, this is a number one, you know, cause I was even into collecting and I was like, what, 13 years old or something. And, uh, but around that same time, my dad brought home one of the first game consoles, Pong, which you could play on, you know, any TV. It was like a home console that had one game Pong. And we played that thing like crazy. And then, you know, by the time I was 19, I owned my first, home computer to, so I could play it was an Atari and I could play Star Raiders which was kind of a Star Wars knockoff 
but you know and that was at the same time that the that the that the uh quarter arcade revolution was happening and <laughs> yep. you know i wasted so many quarters playing asteroids or pac-man or whatever uh and then a couple years after that uh eastman and laird published self-published one of the first really really successful independent comics teenage mutant ninja turtles and that was a black and white comic that you know they they kind of created for four or five thousand bucks and it just you know it it changed the industry forever to this day the industry is not the same as before that black and white revolution of the 80s and i was kind of part of that too because i was drawing and writing my own comics and self-publishing them not nearly as successfully as eastman and laird did but it was still a lot of fun so Mm -hmm. you know the thing i like about i've always liked comics and um games i like playing games i like making games and I, what I like about comics probably a little more is that it's something you can do by yourself. Like if you're an artist yeah. and you can write, then you can, you know, the the blank page is yours to do with what you will. And mm-hmm. you don't even have to publish it, but you can create something. Um, but, you know, this year I've been, since I left Sony, I've actually, um, while I've been working at Lethos, I actually bought and started learning Unity. Because again, I feel like there's a, there's a revolution that can happen here where, you know, trying to get into and, and seeing what's going on in the independent gaming scene, you know, you can do a lot with Unity by yourself, too. Especially, by the way, even if you're not an artist, man, with MidJourney and some of the AI, I mean, you wanted to talk about the the revolution of technology that we're living yeah. through right now. Dude, it's like a lot of the stuff that inspired some of the, the plot things happening in, in Trace War is built around things that I see happening. Like, I see uh, chat GPT and other, you know, learning language models just being amazing Mm -hmm. and they're going to change. In fact, they are, they're currently changing the way a lot of people work. And I've been playing a lot with AI. And so that kind of informed the Mari character in trace war, because I just realized, man, it's like, if you had a, if you had a sentient in in your brain, that could, that could be your constant companion, something like chat GPT would keep you informed and, you know, let you know what's going on or whatever. And also extra sensory equipment that lets you tell when people are lying, right. Or, you know, just giving you way more information. It's like, how transformative would that be? So anyway, long, short, short, uh, answer your question is I love both games and comics creatively and have been doing them both since I was a kid. And you can tell it, like, even looking at some of, like, I have it open here, um, you know, as I'm talking to you, just to look at some of the amazing covers. And, you know, it makes me want to see the game version of this, because you can tell it's that cool, you know, mashed up version of the comic world and just visually how it looks. In a weird, dude, in a weird way, it's uh, kind of a culmination of everything I've done in my career, because when I left Sony, I took some time off, I published a couple of books. But in the back of my head, I still love games, massive games. Working on Days Gone was a lot of fun. Even though it was a lot of work, it was six years, and we kind of were left alone to do whatever we wanted. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being able to write that story and create that open world game, it was our first massive uh, online online game like that. We, when I left Sony, I thought, man, there was so much more that could be done in this space. Like, uh, like, can can you imagine playing that kind of a game? But rather than a bunch of uh, canned speeches from the NPCs, if they had AI driving them so that, you know, you have, you know, they have AI speech generation. Now they have AI text and dialogue generation. So you could, if you could plug in backstory and story to these characters and let the, let the AI 
kind of run with it, you could have an amazing experience in the typical kind of open world game. So anyway, I was thinking about ideas like that. So I, so I started writing this thing mm-hmm. and turning it into a bunch of ideas for an open world game. And then that's when Michael Mumbauer contacted me because I, I pitched it to him because I knew he was working on doing similar things at the time. And, you know, later when he started Lethos, he's like, Hey, we should turn that into a game. And so that's, you know, we've been working on it as an open world game for, you know, for the year. And I want to, um, cause we've mentioned it a couple of times now, just for people that aren't familiar with uh, Lethos, can you kind of give us a little bit of description about that and, and how that kind of started up for you? Well, it's, it's Michael Mumbauer's baby. So he's really, really awesome at, um, tr- it, coming up with what he sees as a you know a missing sort of need in in an entertainment company, and one of the things he's always been interested in is transmedia. So you know he would when he was a he was the technical director at Sony, working for the Visual Arts and Services Group, did all the performance capture, set up their studios, all that kind of stuff. And at the same time, he was pitching the idea that hey, you know we've got these powerful ips like uncharted or mm-hmm. the last of us why don't we do more with those why don't we you know do a television series and he was pitching that 10 years ago before there was a television series or a movie <laughs> so you know it took a while for sony to kind of you know get the hint and yeah start using you know creating more stories and more opportunities but mike was involved in doing the uh the first comic book for uncharted um the eye of indira he was a uh, you know, he was a proponent of all that kind of stuff. So when we first started Lethos, we absolutely said, hey, we should do this as a comic book. I could work on a screenplay. Uh, I could also work on a motion comic, which I've done. That was one of the first things I created using Unity was, um, I'll send you a link if they haven't given it to you, but it's a, it's a, it's an actual motion comic of the first issue of the series. And oh, it's got wow. animation and yeah. sound and music. Um it's pretty cool. So anyway, just being able to take a property that you're working on and make it available in as many ways as possible. It was, it's always been the number one goal of Lethos. Yeah, definitely some of that Lee, because I love to see it because you could just see it coming through on the page that you got, you can tell that, you know, you know, both you and Michael had that background where there's such this amazing combination of different worlds that are, yes. that are playing together so well. Um, okay, so let's really get into it here. We kind of tease it up for everybody that we've been talking about it. But Trace War, tell us a little bit about, you know, our main character, Ash, how you kind of came into, you know, creating this comic. Because it is such an interesting idea of, you know, how technology can divide a culture and destroy things, you know, if you take it the wrong way. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, well, like I said, it started it, and there's I find a synergy between writing for games and comics. One of the things mm-hmm. I like about comics is, in fact, it's probably the only difference is because I, I always do narrative driven games, right? So you have yeah. a really strong protagonist uh, and he's got to have you know something that's really wrong in his life and he's got to be trying to figure out a way to fix it or solve a problem and uh, you give him the tools to do that. But you also put a ton of obstacles in his way. So in a game, um, the biggest difference is that all the action is done by the player. Whereas in a comic, I actually get to write the action on the page. And then, you know, a a talented artist like Paul Pelletier will be able to go in and just, you know, draw that and make the action really exciting for a static image on a a comic book page. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it starts as an open world concept. So for me, it starts with a lot of world building, just kind of 
I mentioned earlier that I really like working with uh, things I see happening in the real world today. So, you know, obviously climate change is everybody's learning this summer is a very real thing. Um, And it's not going away. It's only going to get worse and uh, and worse and worse. I feel bad for my great grandchildren, to be honest, because who knows what it's going to be like. And I'm in my, and what I started by saying is what's it going to be like in a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And I put it, I put the story a thousand years in the future because I didn't really want to do another post-apocalyptic story because this isn't really post-apocalypse because yeah. dude, it's a, th- it's a thousand years in the future. A lot happens. Right. Civilizations rise and fall. And so it's set in the Pacific Northwest because again, I really like the area up here because of the biodiversity, all the different biomes you can have from, coastlines to high desert to you know to mountain ranges it's just you can have a lot of really beautiful scenery but you know put that forward a thousand years where maybe a couple of more civilizations like the united states have kind of come and gone and left ruins everywhere so in a game that gives you a lot of room to explore and a lot of room to discover things um and you know a lot of ways you can write lore that the player can uncover so all that stuff is super effective for the comic as well so world building create a vast world try to figure out problems that we're facing and what are they going to look like? I think another huge problem is the political divisiveness that we're seeing now. Um, I think that's just going to get worse. So, you know, in Ash's world, there is no more uh, national government. There's no more world governments. It's all sort of these little fiefdoms, the size of a County. I call them enclaves and, you know, they're warring with each other over resources, but mostly over ideology. So you can imagine, say in Oregon, you've got, uh, over here in central Oregon, you've got, they're predominantly red counties. So a lot of people who are very staunchly conservative, um, whereas Portland is very diverse and quite liberal. In fact, almost all of the Western Oregon is. So imagine that those would become two separate enclaves and they obviously don't get along ideologically. And I think these lines can be drawn along religious lines and definitely along ideological lines. You mentioned technology. That's where I put most of my focus because I really think that there is, I see a lot of, I mean, you know, I don't know what your politics are or how you feel about say vaccinations, but you know, I'm pro vaccination because I'm pro science. And when people tell me like, uh, or I hear prominent politicians saying, yeah, they cause birth defects for all this other stuff. I'm like, yeah, there's no evidence for that. So, you know, it, yeah. but again, regardless of the specifics, there's a definite, I sense a definite anti-science bias growing very strongly in this country and anti-technology and people are just, you know, they're, they're wary of it for whatever reason. And, you know, when I hear things like people believing the earth is flat, I just want to lose my mind because I'm like, really? What? (laughs) I'm like, no. Anyway, one of my favorite, one of my favorite scientists before he died was uh, Carl Sagan. Mm -hmm. And he has this famous quote, look it up on online if you haven't read it. And I don't have it memorized, but you know, the gist of it is, he fears that within his lifetime uh, that we were, the United States was going to devolve into a superstitious, you know, clan of people, you know, shaking their rattles and holding their prayer beads and looking into their crystals and that they were going to become ignorant and, you know, completely walk away from knowledge and science. And I think I'm, I think we're seeing that. So that's mostly what I explore in trace war. I have a group of people called um, the people's remorse because they feel like the earth is, has, you know, humanity is being punished uh, by some supernatural force for their reliance on technology. So they're totally anti-technology. 
And, you know, the opposite of that is the Order of Life Science, which is an ancient organization that's trying to preserve technology. And Ash yeah. is kind of caught in the middle of these. So Ash is born um, with, you know, severe birth defects. He's He doesn't have arms. He's missing an eye and some other things. And his parents, rather than leaving him on a hill to die, which is the custom um, for superstitious people who were like, oh, you know, this is this is a flawed human being here. Let's kill it. Um, they instead go to the order and get technology implants. And so that, you know, it's it's kind of a Ash Naranjo's uh, superhero origin story, because as he grows, these implants grow with him. They become more powerful. He, they've got, and again, this is sort of driven by my ideas for the gameplay. Eventually, um, you have all these modules that you can plug into these bionic arms. He can do amazing things with them. He becomes very, very powerful, but at the same time, he's becomes an outcast and a, he's yeah. considered a freak. And people, you know, people are afraid of him. And so, you know, that's kind of Ash's story in a nutshell. Is he's, you know, he's he's dealing with these inner demons trying to determine if he's even human and at the same time, um, you know, trying to help uh, the people who are afraid of him. Yeah. And I love how you, I love how it starts out too, because, you know, in these first three issues that I've um, been lucky enough to be able to check out and read through, you kind of get, you kind of get introduced to Ash, but you don't really understand. Like he's kind of in between, like you said, he's playing on both sides and you're like, okay, what's going on with this dude? Like, what's the story? Like what's missing here? you know, that we don't quite understand. And it slowly unfolds as you get to the issues to realize that, you know, his reliance on technology and what technology has done for him that other people don't understand, you know, yeah. and the fact that his parents are willing to take that chance. Like he said, a lot of people are scared of, you know, whether it be vaccines, whether it be technology, because they're not taking the time to really understand, okay, how do I incorporate that into my daily life? How do I make it work for me? Instead of just like, you know, like you said, shaking a stick at it, like, no, 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 no. Get away from me. I don't want to deal with you right now. You're going to be in a corner. Well, it's not like technology, you know, as we're dealing with a lot of issues in our world right now, it's not going to go away. So we need, you know, you have to start finding a way to deal with it. And it's interesting to follow Ash on his journey of, you know, like you said, he could have been thrown away by his parents, but they were like, okay, we can fix this. We can give him these enhancements. And, you know, now he's this, um, and, you know, correct me if I'm using the wrong term for where he's part of, but now he's part of this ghost, this like these elite fighters. Um, you know, that are taking it to a whole other level that could fairly well save, you know, tons of people, you know, with his technology advances. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the ghosts because that's the sort of the military arm of the order of life science. So they, you know, they're not pacifistic in any way. They, you know, they believe in using their technology to help humanity. And so they've taken sides and the trace war and the trace war is kind of a global term, meaning that there is, well, we'll be talking about the trace for just a minute. So the, the, the biggest science fiction element in, in the, in the comic book series and in the game is the trace. These are a 500, five or 600 years ago, these pockets of dark matter, they look like big giant <laughs> Tesla spheres um, yeah, appeared, appeared all yeah. over the globe. They And they literally destroyed civilization because what they did was they started causing um, a lot of radiation, a lot of mutations. Uh, they disrupted air travel and global communications. All the satellites went down. Nobody could fly anymore. Nobody could communicate globally anymore. Um, and then they, the big thing they did is they wiped out a lot of digital knowledge. I mean, one of the I think one of the things that, you know, we do have to be very concerned about is the fact that we're such a digital age now, you know, yeah. we're, we're communicating over Zoom on a laptop 
And, you know, and, and, you know, you're going to record this and that audio is going to go out there, but it's all digital. So if there was a huge EMP blast from a nearby star, all that would get wiped out, all of it, all Mm -hmm. discs, all memory chips, you know, everything. So imagine what kind of, and that's, again, one of the things the order is trying to do is, is retrieve some of that lost information and, uh, and help humanity, you know, build back to what it was. So anyway, that's the trace. And so, you know, a huge part of the story is going to be, you know, the order discovering or Ash discovering what we know about it, its origins, you know, it, is there any way to mitigate it? it you know, what's going on with the trace? Um, but it's also driving the energy from these things. It's also driving, if you can harness it, an awful lot of technology. And so that's what the war is really about is, you know, competing groups trying to be the first, almost like in the Cold War when there were competing groups trying to be the first to harness nuclear energy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. So um, the Trace Wars is something that Ash is kind of thrust into when his his enclave is attacked by the Freelanders. The, the Freelanders are an oppressive group. And, I, you know, and again, I try not to make uh, everything black and white. So even though the Freelanders are, you know, slavers, which is bad, obviously, they still embrace technology. So in many ways, they're more proactive than Ash's people who are driven by superstition and fear, um, even though they believe in freedom. So, you, you know, you kind of got to like just, you know, navigate this complicated political world. Um, and Ash does it by by joining the order and, you know, trying to help win this war at the same time that he's trying to figure out who he is and find his fiance and find his family. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on. And so many secrets he has uncovered. Like, I can't wait for people to really continue to kind of dig into it and, you know, just to see where, like, his story goes and what they find out. Because um, I know it's I, it's interesting, too. Like, um, I don't know. Is there, like, a certain name? I'm just been calling them robotic arms. But they sound, it just sounds so normal. But they look, they seem way cooler than that. But just him yeah, no, they're it called, it's called tech. It's called tech gen. So it's a word tech I made gen, up. Yeah, tech gen. Tech yeah. gen. Yeah, and it's, it, they're kind of a combination of, uh, I can't go into too much detail because there's a ton of spoilers behind all of the Yeah, tech, I didn't want to like, yeah, technology. I wanted to easily ask that question because I don't yes, want to reveal too yes. much. Yeah. But yeah, I think they're, I think they're pretty unique. And again, in terms of uh, gameplay, you know, mm-hmm. having the ability to have these bionic arms that can do all these crazy things and, you know, allowing the player to figure out, you know, what you can swap in and what you, you know, cause you have to prioritize things. You can have your nanofiber zip line, but that comes at the yeah. cost of your invisibility shield you know, so it kind of changes your play, play style. But for the comic, you know, Ash plugs in what he needs when he needs it. So yeah. it becomes like Batman's utility belt, which I think is really cool. <laughs> yeah, it is really cool, yeah. Um, Well, let me get off Ash because I don't want to spoil anything. I want you guys to go check it out. But yeah, it is amazing. I wish this, like, right now, this is the only time I want this podcast to be visual so you guys will be able to see these covers for the first three because they look amazing. <laughs> um, But another, a couple of characters I also wanted to mention, um, Zay, um, hopefully I'm saying that name right, and Zenwai, or, or sorry, Senwai, um, do you want, is there anything you can kind of tease about those characters or kind of give us like a basis about those characters that you like to add? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, again, I think, uh, so Y is a character who is Ash's godmother, and she's a member of the Order, and she's the conduit that gets Ash this technology when he's born. Um, and yeah, during the first, even during the first three issues, you learn a lot about her. Um, the word sin is just my version of Mr. or Mrs. Everybody calls each other. It's a, it's a, uh, what do they call that word when you're saying, Hey, Mrs. It's, you know, it's just a, it's a formal ad- way to address someone who's old. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, 
anyway, she's, um, I, yeah, I think she's, she's a really good, I, like, I don't know if you noticed this, but one of the things I, or if you play Days Gone, I tend to have a lot of older characters in my stories for, yeah, I, I just find, them, I just find yeah. them more interesting. Yeah. They've lived long lives. They've had a lot of experience. They're flawed, like every human being. So they're not mm. perfect, but you know, I just find them, I just, the older a character is, the more interesting I find them. So yeah, Senwai is, is pretty old and she's, you know, and she's the leader. So that's the other thing I really find fascinating is I try to find different ways of having characters who don't look like me um, be <laughs> important to the story because again, yeah. I find it more, I find it more interesting. So yeah, you're going to learn a lot more about her and about all the ghosts, right? So, so the same thing with the uh, Brahmins and Doya and yeah. uh and Zai Cheneva. These are all these are all characters that you're gonna get to learn a lot about over the next six issues. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a cool wild ride. Like, yeah, it's it's insane watching how they I love how they pop into um the way you've crafted it so well. Um, that you don't quite like some of them you get their intention right away, but some of them it's always like this, like you said, you don't like to make it black and white. So there's always yes. this blurry line about them that's so cool. Um that I think is really going to drive people to to want to read more and figure out what's the, what the ending is for Ash, you know, if there is one. Like, I love that. Like, you guys kind of hold that in your hands. We don't know yet. We don't know where this world is going to go. I love, yeah, I love the, the one of the big differences between the comic and the game is in the game, and I may change this based on how successful the comic is, is that in the game, you start with Ash being born. So the first act of the game is literally you growing up as Ash and, mm -hmm. you know, seeing everything firsthand that the kid is going through and, yeah. you know, what life in that enclave is like. Cause I really wanted there to be, you know, this real sense that you know who Ash is and who his people are before all the shit goes down. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and, it, it, and in the comic, I don't start with that. I start with him already being a yeah. member of the ghosts yeah. and you're mm -hmm. jumping into his first mission. And then the second issue is kind of more of a flashback and it, and it you know, fills in some details. So the comic is great that way because you can play with the timeline a little more, I think. Like in the next six issues, I have another flashback issue and you get to spend a lot more time. You get to learn a lot more about all the characters this way and compare and contrast who they are today with who they were, you know, 10 years ago. So hard to do that in a video game because players just get confused. They're like, well, wait a minute, what's happening? I thought I was on my way to do this mission and now it's 10 years earlier and I'm doing this. It just doesn't work in a video game, at least in my opinion. Yeah, the flash, yeah, the flashback issue for me, like you said, when you had that freedom in comics, that was one of my favorite parts was being able to kind of put the connections together. Um, and you know, I won't tell everybody too much, but yeah, being able to put the connections together about his personal life and figure out exactly, you know, what was driving him, you know, was such mm. an interesting, cool way to put to put it, because you have so many questions starting out with issue one. But I yes. also want to ask you though to talk a little bit about um the, the writing of it, you know, having that, like you said, it's two different, it's sort of two different worlds, even though you can kind of combine them, you know, preparing to, to release a video game or preparing for a video game and actually sitting down, you know, writing, putting this world together in a comic form. Where did you start? Like just to get into some of the technical, like behind the scenes, where did you start as far as like writing this story? Uh, funny enough, it had been, so like I said, I did done, I had done comics. Um mm -hmm in the eighties, a lot of comics, but it had been a while since I had written one and I had never written one full script the way, uh, some, not everybody writes in full script. Like I know Alan Moore does, which is where you're literally describing how many panels are on the page, what's in each yeah. panel, right? What the dialogue is, what the characters look like and you know, what the sound effects are. Um, 
some some writers just work in kind of a, a more loose outline style and then the artist flushes out a lot of that detail so i work with a full script and the first script i wrote um kind of sucked <laughs> it was not you know because i have a i have a really good producer on the comic yeah. side and he he read it and he's like yeah well uh this isn't this isn't this isn't the best uh we sh- it, because honestly the problem was pacing so trying to figure out pacing in a comic was something that so anyway he gave me this feedback and he's like yeah this is moving kind of slow and we don't really know you know who these characters are or whatever because i had started with the scene where ash is in a in the middle of a desert wasteland and he comes across this young couple and they you know and tries to help them and that was kind of it for the action for 24 pages of comic and uh so i took this advice and i went and literally bought 25 or 30 different modern comics to just so I could get independence as well as, you know, some image comics and some current Marvel and superhero stuff. And what I realized was, yeah, pacing is really, really fast in comics today. No time is wasted with things like transitions, right? You let the turning the page is your transition. You try to find natural rhythms so that, you know, if you got characters talking at a table on page six and you flip the page and they're riding their bikes through the desert. That's fine because you flipped a page and now you can just, you, you extrapolate that they went home, went to bed, got up in the morning, got dressed, got yeah. on their bikes and went somewhere. You don't have to show all that because it's not important to the story. So n- now in the first, in fact, you'll notice this for each of the issues, practically every page, there's 24 pages in an issue. Every page has a story beat. Something important happens. Something is you learn something or, you know, the character does something important or, you know, something like that. Right. So um, that was kind of like my my big learning curve last year was learning how to write in a way that made a story exciting and fast paced and still not give up what's important to me, um, which are the character beats and not sacrificing, you know, character development over just a lot of things blowing up because I like both. I love action scenes and those sequences, but unless there's something at stake, unless they're, unless the characters are really trying to achieve something important, then just having, you know, a lot of blood and gore and gunfire um, on its own just doesn't have the same impact. Yeah, you can, and you can definitely tell, like, I didn't even, that's a good point that you pointed that out. Like reading comics, you don't even think about that anymore, that it is that fast pace. Like as soon as you, and you definitely feel that in Trace War, like you, as soon as you're flipping a page, you're like, wait a minute. Okay. So wait, they're recovering over here. All right. But now yeah. we got to deal with this next issue and these next couple pages. So it's yeah. very, very, very fast. Yeah. And it's fun to write that way because like I said, I like writing the action because the, uh, in games, you don't get to do that. And yeah. the script format is very, very different. So if you um, if you look at the the scripts for Trace War, you'll see that the comic book format is so different than a Hollywood script format, which is mostly just dialogue and action. Because you've got to add all this other stuff. You've got to add descriptions of what they're of what they're drawing in every panel, and you know sound effects. Sound effects is a lot. Turns out to be a lot of fun. And yeah. uh, David David Hedgecock, my uh, managing editor, gave me some tips on like. I think I think he said to go look at the work of Walt Simonson, who was a huge artist in the in the eighties, um, for how to write really really good sound effects. And it's not as easy as you might think because you, you know you can't just you, you're trying to figure out like what would this like what does a what does a machine gun sound like you know what yeah. does a what does a pistol sound like what does an explosion sound like anyway so yeah writing writing the the craft of writing a comic book I have so much respect for comic book writers because man. It's a it's a tough job because you've got to imagine everything on the page. 
and then you know give the artist enough to work with yeah you can't just be like oh and put your sound of the pistol in here or you know this building's falling sounds like you know like you gotta have something where they can kind of really go into and describe like you know what we're feeling or what we would see you know even yeah. more that comes off the page so yeah it's a cool very cool medium yes. to be a part of well i want to kind of wrap it up because i could keep going all day about <laughs> all three of these issues i don't want to give it away because i want people to be able to go find it check it out i know you got new issues coming so tell us all where we can find it. I know you have a Kickstarter that just started up. Uh, Lethos has a Kickstarter that just started up. So tell us like all the information and everything as we kind of end. Well, so the Kickstarter is currently the only way you can get this comic. So okay. right now, right now we've got a Kickstarter going. I think we've, it's got another 25 days or something. Um, and yeah, we're looking for supporters because what we want to be able to do is, you know, reach as wide an audience as possible. I think we're pretty close to our goal right now. So these comics are going to come out and eventually you'll be able to buy them. Um, but if you, if you're part of the Kickstarter, there's like a gold foil edition that I just, you know, signed like a hundred copies of, um, that's really, really well done. I mean, it's a beautiful book. If you, if you like printed comics, and, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about that. I mentioned that I had bought like Commandy number one when I was a kid. Yeah, but I have a, yeah. huge, I have a huge physical comic book collection because I love the physical medium. I love digital comics. And I, like I said, I did a motion comic that I'll send you a link to. Um, I love that stuff, too. But, man, the, the physical, physical comic copy? book. Yes. Yeah, that you're you know, you're cool. holding it. You're smelling yep. the paper. Yeah, it's still pretty cool. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's that's what you're going to be able to get if you help participate in the and the Kickstarter is a copy of the physical book. And on Twitter, we sent out a bunch of our original um, pre-press version just to test, you know, what it would look like on the page. And Mike Mumbauer and Lethal sent out a bunch of those to a bunch of the guys who were, um, you know, members of the uh, Web3 um, part of the studio. And so, I've, you know, I'm just seeing these guys post pictures of themselves holding the comic. And it's just, it's pretty cool. So yeah. having a physical comic, yes, please, please hop on the the kickstarter and support this thing if you can yeah absolutely absolutely and is that just lithos on twitter and just all social media yeah so if you lithos.com has links to everything you also yeah we're also okay. on twitter you can find me on twitter pretty easily i'm also on on linkedin and facebook and all that but, but mostly i communicate and if you send me a direct message i'll actually answer most of the time Oh, nice. I like that. See, most of the time it's all you can ask for. That's perfect. So you guys to send a message, just let them know about Ash. She might not give you all the details, but hey, it's still worth sending it out there. You guys check yes. out the Kickstarter because I'm a fan too of just like a physical copy of a comic. It's still pretty cool. I mean, we have so many cool tech ways to do comics now, but still just keeping it original sometimes is really cool. So you guys go yeah. check it out. Get ready for Ash and all his cool technology. Get ready for Trace War, you guys. Three issues that you guys have a chance to check out and really dive into. It is a good time. It really starts you to thinking about where we're going as far as the world and just tech and understanding each other and everything is not black and white. So, you know, it's very cool to be able to see that in the comics. So John, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.